Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Into basketball conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel. No Joey Weaver, as he is off with his wife to have their second child. So I am back from paternity leave, and Joey goes on his here today to preview the Wake Forest team and Deacons. But before we get started, it's important to note that this podcast was recorded before the news of Sam Hartman being out for an extended period of time. We don't know when Hartman will be back, dealing, of course, with a non football injury. But you're going to hear on this podcast today, you're going to hear me talk to Connor O'Neill of Deacons Illustrated. Connor, frequent guest of the show, one of our best guests, as you all know by now. If you're a longtime listener, Connor is fantastic. A lot of great Wake Forest information in here. But just note that this podcast was recorded before the Sam Hartman injury. So you're going to hear a lot of Sam Hartman talking here, talking about how he's back. This is likely going to be his last season, at least that's what we thought before the injury, could still, of course, be his last season with Wake Forest, but he is one of the not only premier starting quarterbacks returning in the ACC, uh, but one of the best quarterbacks in the country returning to school this year. Wake Forest is going to be without him for an extended period of time. Mitch Griffiths is going to take over for him in the starting role, um, according to Dave Clawson. Sam Hartman, it does sound like we'll be back sometime this year, but we don't know when. So you're going to hear me make a record prediction on this podcast of 9-3 and three for Wake Forest. I'm going to spoil it at the start. Uh, I, I make the prediction of 9-3. and three. I still think Wake Forest can get there. It's really going to depend on when Hartman gets back. They have a pretty easy September leading into the Clemson game, of course, at the end of the month, one of the biggest games on Wake Forest's schedule. If Hartman is out for that game, it's going to be really hard, of course, for Wake Forest to contend there. Um, But I do think that even without Sam Hartman, this is a really talented Wake Forest team returning. I do anticipate that they'll be in that 8-9 win range with or without Hartman. But the ceiling is obviously raised significantly with him in the lineup. So, you know, important to note that this podcast, once again, was recorded without the benefit of knowing Sam Hartman's injury situation. But still a lot of great content in here. Also want to note that before we hear you all hear this interview with me and Connor, Joey actually pre-recorded a preview of his own, a short little five-minute blurb on what he believes Wake Forest will do in this upcoming season. So you're going to hear from Joey here first, and then you'll hear my interview with Connor O'Neill. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's Joey, followed by Connor O'Neill of Deacons Illustrated. Wake Forest enters year nine under Dave Clawson, believe it or not. He's one of the old men of the ACC at this point in terms of head coaches. And this program at this point, you got to know, this is full-on, late-stage, fully developed, final-form Wake Forest under Dave Clawson. If you throw out the COVID year, this program has finished over 500 
Five straight seasons dating back to 2016. They've been in bowl games every year, including 2020, where they finished four and five. But again, that was weird COVID year, so you can kind of throw that out. But at this point, Wake Forest, you kind of know what it's going to be. And I think this program, in a lot of ways, will be the same as it was last year. Um, They do get Sam Hartman back. Now, I will say I I record this after the initial episode was, was recorded by Mike and Connor, um, I, I am aware at this point that Sam Hartman is going to miss some time with an undisclosed medical condition, we'll say. Um, they did not know that when they recorded the episode, but I know that now. I, it depends on how much time he misses as, as far as how much that is going to make a difference. Um, but this is a program that is going to have a lot of offense. They get a, a ton of a talent back in their receiving core, A.T. Perry, Jaquari Roberson, those guys, as well as Donovan Green, who had a pretty big year in that 2020 season. He missed all of last year with an injury. He will be back. That is a big deal for this team. They are going to score a lot of points. Uh, they are not going to play a whole ton of defense. They're going to play a bunch of shootouts. They're going to probably win, I don't know, probably like eight games. They'll probably go about eight and four if I had to guess. Um, out of conference, VMI at Vanderbilt and Liberty all to start the year. At Vandy is maybe scary if and when Sam Hartman can't play in that game, but Otherwise, I mean, VMI and Liberty should be relative layups. We'll see how they do with Army in October as well. I know that game went really sideways. I mean, they gave up 56 points and won by two scores last year. So, uh, that's again, that's exactly what this program kind of has become in a way. Um, I, I feel pretty good about Wake. This is a team, again, they're well coached. They're going to score a bunch of points. They, they know who they are. The schedule is not daunting in, in so many ways. The, the, you know, again, the out-of-conference is, is really well scheduled here, teams that they are very well capable of, of winning games against. And that's part of probably what's kind of buoyed that, that record of the last five years. They have scheduled their way into bowl eligibility in a lot of cases. So getting Syracuse and at Duke to end the year, I mean, those are games that I would expect that Wake is able to go in and win without much of a problem. Can they pick off another one or two Atlantic teams along the way? Yeah, probably. Probably. So, uh, you know, we'll see how much losing Sam Hartman does uh, to to hurt this team and cause issues for them. But for now, I think 7-5, and five, probably the floor. And honestly, with the great coaching, the way that I like to upgrade teams in terms of their final record, uh, let's go 8-4 and four for Wake Forest. I think they're going to be pretty good. And once again, one of the best teams in the Atlantic, although – not so convinced that they'll win it again as they did last year. So shout out to the reigning Atlantic Division champs. I think it'll be another fun year for them and the uh Go Deeks. Go get them. Let's take a quick break to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great officially licensed Georgia Tech apparel. They have got all sorts of great T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, They've got stickers now. They've got something for the whole family, men, women, children, everything. Go check them out. Once again, it's section103.com. You're looking for shirts that are in the official tech gold. You're looking for shirts with the ATL logo on them. You're looking for other officially licensed things. Those things are hard to find in a lot of places for some reason. I don't know why. You can find them all on section103.com. Again, go, go there, check them out. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. And, and again, they have some stickers that have just come out. Those, those are really cool. Everything is really high quality that I've gotten from them. Uh, I've gotten some of the performance shirts. I've got one of the hoodies. Um, everything I've got there is, is great, and it really goes great on a Saturday afternoon supporting the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at Bobby Dodd Stadium or 
anywhere else. You're in the Thriller Dome. You're at uh, McCamish Stadium. You're at uh, the Rusty Sea. You are going to a volleyball game. You need something to support Georgia Tech. Go to section103.com. They have great products. They are all officially licensed. Got those official word marks, the official colors, everything. Everything you could ask for, you can go find it all there. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order when you do go. Appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership with Basketball Conference. We look forward to another great football season partnering with them. And now let's get back to it. All right. So as I discussed in the pre-roll, we are bringing back in friend of the podcast, Connor O'Neill, publisher, Deacons Illustrated. Connor, you know, it's that time of year again, man, because we are back talking about Wake Forest in the preseason. A Wake Forest team that was really freaking good last year, even better than we anticipated on the podcast when we did the season preview. But how are you doing? Doing well. Um, Like we were talking about, I'm I'm a little ragged. Um, In addition to covering Wake, I covered Duke. both of them have opened their fall camps, which is very good for access and very not good for sleep schedules and yes. uh, that kind of thing. Fair enough. Yeah, Joey, talked to your buddy on the beat, Steve Wiseman, uh, to preview Duke. And that podcast is going to be released here uh, as we sit here recording here on <laughs> Tuesday. It's going to be re- released here in a couple of days. Um, you're ragged. I'm a little rusty. This is my first podcast I've actually recorded since mid-June um, after coming off of uh, my pseudo-paternity leave as far as the podcast is concerned. I haven't been paid out for that yet, though, so uh, we'll see what happens there. Talk to your union rep, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think the union rep might be Joey, so. My dad <laughs> um, all right, so so Wake was damn good last year. 11-3, and three, finished 7-1, and one, won the Atlantic Division. Uh we didn't anticipate that in the preseason. We thought Wake Forest could be pretty good. We didn't anticipate maybe Clemson taking a couple steps back from where they had been um, because DJU didn't pan out. But we knew Wake Forest had a talented team coming back. There was no question about that. They have another talented team coming back this year where if Clemson were to falter again, I feel like Wake Forest could be one of those teams that could be right there at the end of the year with kind of their say in what happens in the Atlantic Division. This is a really, really talented team, Connor. Yeah, they they return a ton of firepower on offense. Um, there's reason for optimism defensively. And, you know, Dave, Dave Clawson summed it up. Uh, we got him a day or two before they opened fall camp. And he just basically pared it down to the story of their season is, can we maintain and or get better offensively? Can we be consistent and improved on defense? And can we not lose anything in the kicking game? Um, you know, don't forget that they had the most accurate kicker in NCAA history in Nick yeah. Skiba, uh, 89.9%. And he's gone. Um, so so they'll, I, I've, I've kind of already projected or predicted that there will be a game or two this year where they miss Nick Skiba. Like, they'll miss, you know, I think Matthew Dennis, his replacement is going to be decent. But there's going to come a time when he misses – a kick that you would have just automatically chalked up the three points if Nick Skiba were on the roster. So that's, that's, that's the three big ones. I mean, you want to, I'm sure we would need to talk more, but that's kind of the baseline for wake season is uh, sustainability on offense, improvement and consistency on defense, and then not lose anything in special teams. I mean, it's kind of a big deal that Dave Clawson and, you know, we'll get into the specifics of the team, what they got coming back. It's a pretty big deal that Dave Clawson is still around. I feel like every year we come on this podcast, we talk about, we preview Wake Forest with you. 
and we talk about, okay, how long is Dave Klassen going to be there? <laughs> and what you have said year over year, Kajoey and I, is he's going to be there as long as he wants to be there because he seems to enjoy coaching. And I think the answer you gave last year was pretty good. It was he enjoys coaching kind of that like Ivy League type environment where, you know, high academic institution and he's able to, you know, kind of do more with less. And now he's starting to recruit a little bit too. I know he had a couple of talented four-star kids coming in with the 2022 class, but how close was Dave Clawson to leaving this past off season? Because I'm a Virginia Tech alum. I know that there were rumors flying on the Virginia Tech side that Clawson was a serious contender for that job, but I'm curious to hear from a, from a Wake Forest side, how close you thought Clawson was to maybe entertaining leaving Wake Forest, or was it really just to, you know, maybe get a little contract extension, get, get some more money thrown his way for, you know, the job he's been doing at Wake? I, last year, I, I was not a hundred percent convinced, but I was pretty certain from talking to people around Wake um, that Dave, I, I don't know if the correct word is used, but, you know, played some leverage Um to get a to get an extension and the most important part was to get the coaching salary the the assistant bonus pool elevated because that's if you want to talk about the the sustained success of wake's program and where they where they were in dave's first two seasons and where they were at the end of the jim grobe tenure to where they are now the biggest reason that that has happened is is because of Dave, yes, but also because they've had basically the same offensive staff for nine years. The only position that's turned over is the tight ends slash special teams coach, and that's one time. Uh, they've had the same offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, Warren Ruggiero, running back coach, John Hunter, receivers coach, Kevin Higgins, and offensive line coach, Nick Tabaka. That's just, it, it's kind of unheard of staff continuity, and that's why you can have an offense that averages 40 points a game like they did last year. So Dave wanted to get those guys paid and taken care of and not risk, you know, losing them to, you know, wherever would have been looking for those position specific coaches. Um, I, I, I still think that Dave is, is going to be at wake for as long as he wants to be at wake. Um, I, I don't think, it, you know, as far out of the realm of possibility as it is, if Wake goes three and nine this year, he's not getting fired. Uh, he he is he is probably one of the safest coaches in the ACC. Um, may, you know, Dabo and Pat Narduzzi might be a little more or as secure, but I, I don't think anybody else in the ACC has as much security as Dave does at Wake. Um, so yeah, it, it last year always felt like. He was going to still be awake. Um, I get that sense moving forward. I mean, you never know if the right option comes along. Like, you know, you and I are both golf fans. How many of these guys that talk out about uh, never leaving the PGA Tour and then a month later are going to live? Uh, you never know when the right dollar amount is going to come along and change somebody's mind. Uh, I do think that there are schools that would fit Dave, um, you know, but but those schools are it's a pretty small list. And and one of those school, you know, the school at the top of the list just uh, just hired a new coach in, in Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think Dave is pretty set and secure at Wake. It was pretty funny because we talked about Notre Dame being the one school where we were like, yeah, we could see Clawson going there because it fits the academic profile and it's a step up from a from a football standpoint historically. And then we were like, yeah, but Brian Kelly will never leave there. <laughs> and then lo, <laughs> lo and behold, he was one of a series of ridiculously out of this world coaching moves that happened in a span of maybe like two or three weeks in, in late December, early January. It was just kind of a wild time and Lawson remains at Wake Forest. Uh, okay. So Sam Hartman returns and it's funny because, you know, Sam Hartman, when he started playing it as a true freshman and then Jamie Newman took over and then Hartman came back. I think the hope was that Hartman would turn and eventually turn into the quarterback that he's really become. I mean, last year it was a significant step forward. You're like, okay, that was the guy that, Wake Forest has always envisioned running their offense before Jamie Newman and then Newman sandwich in between and now after Jamie Newman. This is a quarterback that's really taken a lot of steps forward. Obviously, there's a lot of talent around him. We'll talk about that in a second, but Sam Hartman is a quarterback. There's a lot of comfort around the Wake Forest program knowing that he's behind center. Yeah, and it's really the the interesting part to me is, you know, I, I look at basically Wake has had three starting quarterbacks for the last eight or nine years. Uh, when you look at from John Walford to Sam Hartman, then to Jamie Newman, then the Walford wagon, Connor, the Walford wagon. So Walford, because of supporting cast and because of his own improvements, his breakout came in his fourth season, that last season in 2017, when Wake really started to make a name for themselves offensively with the slow mesh. And then he was gone because he had four years of eligibility used up at that point. Uh, Jamie Newman's breakout year, you know, he he had success at the end of that 2018 year, but then 2019 was really his breakout season. That was his fourth season in the program. And then he transferred to Georgia, never wound up playing uh, yada, yada, yada. So they never got that fifth year with Jamie. Sam's breakout year was his fourth year. Like he was decent in the pandemic year uh it was such a disjointed season that it's hard to say he was really good and obviously compared to last year his 2020 was not that good right um but now Wake gets to have that fifth year that they never got with the other two guys like they get to experience okay this guy broke out this guy had a historic season for us now what's the encore look like does he you know I I think it's probably asking too much for Sam to put up another 50 touchdowns when you consider that he's one of three ACC quarterbacks ever to, to be responsible for 50 touchdowns. And the other two are Lamar Jackson when he won a Heisman and the guy at Clemson that everybody's just forgotten his name at this point. Uh, so, and, and Sam probably, like for, that, probably for the best. <laughs> that's, that's the company that he keeps. So, it's hard, right? Like last year was great. He has another great supporting cast around him. It's just hard to say, okay, go out and give us 50 more touchdowns. So it's, it's going to be interesting to watch what, what this fifth season looks like. And it's interesting to note, like Sam has two more years of eligibility. Yeah. He has the, the 20 season doesn't count. And then the 19 season, when Jamie was the starter, Sam only played four games that year, so he got a red shirt. But he told us in the spring, and, and it's 
as far as I know, it's still the case. Like this is his last season. He's not yeah. gonna he's not gonna come back for his sixth year. Like, and and that'll be interesting to track throughout college football. Like, some people just don't want to be in college for that long, and especially right. the guys that want to go play in the NFL and get and get. You know, I know everybody is is getting paid for NIL at this point, but the dream is still to go to the NFL and get paid, uh, not to, you know, make some Bojangles money on the side and that kind of thing. So, <laughs> right. Sam, right. Sam, as as long as there's no, you know, catastrophic injuries or anything, this is going to be his last season at Wake. And like you said, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to replicate what he did last year, but then again, you look at the talent around him and really you just lose Ja'Cory Roberson. But I mean, E.T. Perry returns and he was the leading receiver last year, 15 touchdowns, over 1,200 yards receiving. There's got to be comfort when you're returning Donovan Green and E.T. Perry and you have Taylor Marin coming back who had a really good freshman year. Like, There's got to be some comfort there with, with the pass catchers. And then there is still a talented group of running backs too. So it's not like Hartman couldn't necessarily replicate it. It's just, you know, you're asking a lot, obviously, considering the year he had last year with the 39 touchdowns through the air and the 11 on the ground. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, to to go to the receivers, A.T. Perry had the season last year that I thought Donovan Greenwood was going to have. Right. Um, Donovan was their best wide receiver during the pandemic season, and then he suffered a torn ACL in the summer in a in a freak injury during, like, a – Oh, seven on seven workout. So AT really stepped up and now AT's back. Um, I'll tell you what, man, it's, there, there are plays in fall camp that AT makes that you just kind of look at it and it's like, he might be one of four or five receivers in the entire ACC that could make a play like that. Right. Just the, the six, five uh, frame with the speed and coordination to go with it is just incredible to watch. And Donovan is a, Donovan early enrolled in spring 2019. He's looked the part of a of an ACC receiver from the moment he stepped on campus. Right. He, he has the physique uh, of of a grown man. It was just the maturity, and that came in at the end of the 2019 season, and then really carried through the 2020 season. Um, you put those two guys on the outside. It's really the first time since 2019 when they had Scotty Washington and Sage Surratt out there that you have both guys that you can throw jump balls to and 50-50 balls, and they're going to turn them into the 70-30, 80-20 win percentages. That's that's so dangerous when you're running the slow mesh because then you're, you're holding the safeties in the middle of the field. You're holding the linebackers in the middle of the field for so long and then you're just throwing a jump ball if if the safeties collapse and everything condenses in the middle. I mean, you you throw, you know, six to eight of those jump balls per game to those two guys, you're racking up a lot of yards and a lot of points in a hurry. Um, and then like like you mentioned, like the running backs, I I, I think Justice Ellison is primed for a breakout season. Um he's a stud. He's he's really good. He played last year as the number three, and he kind of forced his way in there. And there were some games where he wound up being the lead back by the end of the game, uh, and big games too, like the the Louisville win. Uh, he had the he had the responsibilities and was carrying the ball on the last drive of the game that Nick Skiba kicked a last minute field goal to win. And the NC State game, he had three touchdowns, and that was the game that put them in the driver's seat for the Atlantic Crown. So. 
like Christian Turner is good. Christian Turner has some ball security issues. And Dave Fawson is a coach that if you fumble the ball, you are not going to be trusted. Uh, that, that leash is pretty short. And Justice Ellison has ball security and, and is an explosive back. The other guy, I'll, I'll give you the name. Um, DeMond Claiborne has been really impressive through a week of fall camp. Four-star, um, baby. He's – running back is one of the positions where you can make an early impact at Wake. They're never going to have offensive linemen that start as true freshmen. Uh, it's really hard to be a defensive lineman and get on the field as a true freshman. For running back, like, they had Kenneth Walker the third go in there as a freshman. Uh, back even longer ago, they had um, Matt Colburn go in there and make a – make a big impact. Kate Carney made a big impact and ran for like 140 yards against Duke when they were really good. Um, in like his second or third game of the, of his career. I think DeMond Claiborne is going to play more than, more than the four game minimum. I think he's working his way into the running back rotation right now. So that'll be, you know, it's only, it's only August 9th. We got to see if he, uh, is still treading water at the end of fall camp, but he looks really good right now. I mean, this could be, I don't know, a top two or three offense in the ACC, but this has potential to be like uh, potentially the top offense in the ACC and maybe one of the top five or six in the entire country. And that's not a stretch considering what they were able to put together last year. Yeah, it's it. it and then you look at like offensive line, they're really old, like the. Yeah the adage in college basketball of we want to, we want to get old and stay old that applies to wakes offensive line. Like their youngest starter is a fourth year guy. Who's a gray shirt. Like he's, he was originally in the class. Uh, Michael Jurgens is a fifth year center and Devonte Gordon, the fourth year guy was in Michael Jurgens signing class. He just couldn't come because he had a, uh, he had a, crazy injury at the end of his high school career. So he's as old as, as the fifth year guys, and he's only his fourth year in the program. Uh, yeah, they're, they're really old. They're really experienced up front. It's, it's got all the makings of sustaining the offensive success that they had last year. And, and, you know, dare you, you kind of, you can always get better. Like, I think they can be better on that side. I don't know how much they can, how, how much better they can be. Um, but yeah, they, they've got all the pieces on offense for sure. Defensively, this is a situation where I feel like Wake Forest just has to not be objectively terrible, right? Just don't have an abject failure on that side of the ball. You'll be okay. Like last year, the defense was not very good. Wake still won 11. So, I mean, how, what's the emphasis, I guess? for Dave Clawson and his staff on that side of the football to at least perform a, a little bit better than a year ago, because they only need to be so good with this offense. Right. And, and realistically what Wake Forest expectations are, they expect to be very good. They expect to, you know, be a team that can compete in the Atlantic, but there is a talent gap between like an 11 win Wake and like an 11 win Georgia right in the sec. Right. There's yeah. a clear talent gap. So like, what's realistic in terms of like what Wake is able to do with their offense being as good as it's going to be. And then defensively just kind of making some small incremental improvements from a year ago. So it's all about consistency. And that's the thing that's kind of frustrating, honestly, in 
as we get into like the preseason talking points is everybody looks at the averages from last year. Everybody looks at, okay, this was Wake's rank last year and they were ranked whatever, 98th in, in yards allowed, that kind of stuff. Um, Wake's defense was pretty good in some games last year. Like the game at Virginia on a Friday night, they were decent. Um, the game against Louisville, yeah, they gave up 34 points, but they had just a couple blown assignments. I think they might have had a bad special teams play that that led to some uh, easy points. Like they almost shut out Duke, which I mean Duke's offense last year they were bad, but to get to get a shutout against an ACC team, right. no matter yeah, the level, right. is is you're a pretty good defense if you do that. It was just when they when they broke, like when it didn't work nothing worked right you know it was they they couldn't have stopped carolina if they had two extra defenders on the field and it was 11 against 13 uh they had an extra week to prepare for army they put in extra game planning for army like two months in advance like every sunday they were putting in extra uh they were spending like 10 minutes per sunday practice on army and they still got into that game and gave up 56 points to a triple option team yeah that's embarrassing. Right. So it's just, it's, it's the consistency. Uh, it's the, when things inevitably go wrong, like college football, if you don't have a top five defense, things are going to go wrong at some point. And really I, I have my own uh, opinions on there's only like three or four teams that can ever have a top five defense and they're Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama, you know, maybe Ohio state every once in a while, but unless you're one of those teams, you're just looking to not be that bad. Like you're not, you're, you're not putting up, you know, 250 yards allowed in 10 points. You're not doing that. Uh, you're just trying to maintain and hold on for dear life. Maybe hold somebody under 400 yards and under 20 points. The college offenses are going to score. Right. Yeah, that's just the nature of it. The, every Every rule change is geared to help a college offense a lot more than it's helped. It's geared to help a college defense. So I think it's the consistency that that needs to happen. Um, and that's why you bring in Brad Lambert. That's why you bring in a guy that is experienced. He knows what he's doing. He knows the school. He knows the region. He knows the ACC. ACC is a little different than it was from 2001 to 10 when he was at Wake Forest previously. but you're 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 not telling Brad Lambert he's got to come in and you know run a three four like he had at Purdue or whatever. Uh, you're not or four three. You're not telling him he's got to come in and hold uh, Clemson and NC State to under 300 yards. You just that's that's not realistic, right? You just want him to come in. You want him to be consistent. You want to not break down and feel like your offense has to be perfect to win a game. Um, it's it's not the lowest bar of expectations, but it's a lot lower of a bar than the expectations for Wake's offense. I mean, Brad Lambert was a defensive coordinator under Jim Grove. Like you mentioned, he knows the school. He's He's got familiarity, you know, with the region. And he's coming in and he doesn't have to be perfect because he's got the offense on the other side that's going to be so good. Wake Forest gave up 42 points or more five times last year. 
they created 29 turnovers. So it wasn't like they were completely helpless in all the games, like you mentioned. From the Brad Lambert standpoint, though, from a schematic difference, right? Like, how different is this defense going to look in terms of scheme, how they play? I mean, is there going to be, and I'm not even talking about, are they going to look better? Are they not? Just, you know, how things are going to look lining up, you know, 11 on 11 defensively, how big of a change is it going to be from a year ago? It's not going to be that big of one. I mean, they're, they're still going to run a four, two, five. Um, The main difference is, is I guess going to be that the, that extra DB, that five is going to be more of a nickel and more of a corner than that that position has evolved so much over the last six or seven years. Uh, when Mike Elko was running the defense in the first three years under Clawson, that was like a two-thirds linebacker, one-third safety hybrid. It kind of changed to become two-thirds safety, one-third linebacker. Uh, maybe four or five years ago we were talking about that. And now it's it's basically just a third corner on the field. Um, and they're they're mixing and matching and plugging and and experimenting away in fall camp on who that nickel can be. Uh, Isaiah Wingfield looks like he has the inside track. He's kind of interesting because he's a grad transfer from Harvard, so he didn't play in 2020. And he played last year. I think it's fair to say he did not play very well last year. Um, and he was used as a, as an outside corner, like he was on the perimeter the whole time. So now he's, he's moved into the box. He's moved into covering slot receivers and he's doing a pretty good job. And if you can cover a slot receiver in wakes offense, you can probably cover a lot of slot receivers in other people's offenses. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still going to be four down linemen. It's still going to be two linebackers. Um, that's kind of the way you have to play in the ACC if you play defense. Like NC State gets away with playing a 3-3-5 because they have three of the best linebackers in the conference. Clemson gets away with playing a 4-3 because they get to recruit freaks and they get to select in recruiting. Uh, everybody else, it's kind of it's kind of the same thing, right? It's it's just four two five, and we know that most teams in the league, their offenses are going to run eleven personnel at least. So we have to match that, uh, and, and that's where you see the the four two five kind of. It has to be played out of necessity. Yeah, there aren't a lot of secrets in terms of covering ACC offenses. You're not going to see anything too exotic on a week to week basis. You kind of know what you're dealing with week to week. It's just the talent level gap, which. In terms of, you know, Wake Forest's offense, they're going to be a tough cover for a lot of defenses in the ACC. The one thing I wanted to mention earlier that I just remembered that I just want to circle back to real quickly with the receiving core is that the receiving core for Wake is like what you're used to seeing at like Clemson, where you're used to like, okay, Clemson's got like three or four like receivers that can, you know, go out there and make an impact. And now Clemson is like searching for pass catchers and Wake Forest has them. It's a very weird dichotomy in the Atlantic right now. Yeah, that's uh there's there's a rumor out there about not Clemson, but another Atlantic team that wanted to poach AT Perry uh over the summer and or maybe maybe spring, I guess, to avoid the the transfer portal um that May May first deadline, I think it was. But yeah, they were they were trying to throw some serious NIL money because of 
how good he was last year and uh, the need for a go-to receiver that they had. And, you know, obviously AT is still at Wake. Now back to the defense, like how many offenses on this schedule? I get that that Wake plays in the tougher of the two divisions. Only one more year of that, though, of course. <laughs> but they play in the tougher of the two divisions in the Atlantic. I mean, how many teams realistically do you think can give Wake Forest defense a serious problem because I look at this schedule and you know obviously there there's Clemson that sticks out Army because of what they did a year ago and then from a talent standpoint I mean NC State North Carolina but outside of that like is there anybody that really Wake Forest should be afraid of from a defensive standpoint yeah I mean I Clemson is the one that uh See, I'm kind of of mind that DJU is going to have a bounce back year. I think. Me too. I think he had some personal stuff that's been underreported uh, last year that he was dealing with that I I believe has been sorted out. Um, and and I think if he's the same quarterback that he was last year, they have more of a security blanket with Cade Klubnik. Um. I want to see what BC is with a healthy Phil Dracovic. Uh, he was really good in 2020. And Wake, I thought Wake uh, in 2020, you know, they would have had BC on their schedule. But when the when COVID switched the schedules around, BC got moved off their schedule. And I thought that was uh, a bad thing for Wake. I thought it would have been beneficial to play BC with a first-year coach and with a quarterback who couldn't cut it at Notre Dame. And then looking at looking at what BC has been when they have a healthy Phil Dracovic, man, that was that's that's a really good team. That's a dangerous team. Um, and Louisville, man, I watched. You know, granted, Duke's defense was the worst defense in the country last year in terms of allowing yards, but I watched Malik Cunningham like throw for three fifty and run for two hundred. And I think Lamar, even Lamar never ran for 300 and or ran for 200 and threw for 300 in the same game. And Malik Cunningham did it last year. He's he has no business being as close to as good as Lamar with yeah. how how uh, how close they are in years that they were at Louisville. But yeah, that wakes wake schedule. You know, the Clemson game is huge, and they jump in the last weekend of, of September with the Clemson game. It's at home. Wake hasn't beaten Clemson since uh, basically getting Tommy Bowden fired. You know, Wake, <laughs> Wake beat Tommy Bowden back in, I think it was 08. I was going to say, it feels uh, like the turn of the century now. Yeah, so long I mean, it was the turn of the century for the ACC's purposes, really, um, even though Florida yeah, State no won chance. a national championship since – Dabo was hired, but right. you know, Wake beat Tommy Bowden. They fired Tommy Bowden when they got to, back to Clemson and named the the little known wide receivers coach, the interim coach, and kind of the rest is history since then. Uh, that's a I I wrote this a little while ago. Wake has to slay that tiger. Um, I hate myself for for that pun being intentional, but Good really, job. this is a long way of saying <laughs> Wake's schedule is going to come down to those three weeks in a row that they have at Louisville at NC state and then home against Carolina. Um, that's the make or break to me. Like, even if you've beaten Clemson, if you lose two of those three, you're probably not winning the Atlantic. If you lose to Clemson, 
you probably need to go three and oh through that stretch and have Clemson trip up uh, twice if you're going to win the Atlantic. So that's the crucial stretch to me. It's the last weekend of October and then the first two of November. And that's usually a time when Wake's depth is running thin. Uh, they usually are running out of linebackers, safeties, and running backs. So we'll see where they are at that point. I mean, I'm of the opinion, looking at the schedule, that Clemson might be the only defense that can actually cover Wake's receivers and make things difficult on Wake Forest because I look at the rest of the schedule and there are some talented defenses on there. Like, I think NC State's defense could be pretty good. Um, I think NC State will have a good team and Devin Leary's coming back. And I think if you're looking for a team outside of Clemson to win the Atlantic, I think you're looking at either Wake Forest or you're looking at NC State. Those are two obvious candidates for me. And then Boston College, you touched on that briefly, but like with a healthy Phil Dracovic, and I get 2020 was weird, but healthy Phil Dracovic makes all the difference. I mean, Boston College was basically running, it was like below replacement level at quarterback when Dracovic wasn't out there. And then when he's healthy and he's right, it's a very different offense, very difficult to defend. And then you mentioned Louisville with Willie Cunningham, and I, we're calling him a leak now, right? By the way, like we yeah. we did that weird thing a couple of years ago where he changed his first name briefly, and then we went back to Malik. I think we're calling him yeah, Malik Cunningham. I now. I feel like we it got changed on me a couple times. Like yeah. it was Malik first, then it was Mikhail, then it was Malik, then it was Mikhail again. <laughs> now it's Malik. It's been Malik for now like two years. So yeah. we've got some consistency, but there was a time when it was just like. What is this dude's name? Am right. I just writing M. Cunningham in yeah. every story? Yeah, and it, it was. I was trying to align. I remember Joey and I were trying to do an exercise with the statistics with Cunningham, trying to see if there was like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Like when he was called Malik, here's where his stats were. He was called Mikhail, here's where his stats were. It was too hard to track. Um, but yeah, I'm of the opinion that really Clemson is is the only defense I think that can give Wake Forest a lot of issues outside of Clemson because I think Clemson could have a top two or three unit in the country on that side of the ball. Outside of that, I don't see, and I still think Wake will score, but outside of that, I don't know who can really defend Wake's offense, and because of that, I think they have a pretty high ceiling when I look at their schedule. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I get I get why NC State's defense is kind of the, the trendy reason to pick them uh, if you're not going to pick Clemson to win the ACC, and if you don't want to venture into the coastal waters, then you're going to pick NC State because of, of the defense. Wake scored 45 on them last year. Uh, and that was yeah. probably Sam Hartman's second or third worst game of the season. Yeah. I think his completion percentage was under 50%. He had maybe a couple turnovers. Uh, he was not that good that night. And they scored 45. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that much special teams flavored. Or You know, I think they right. got a couple turnovers against Leary. But... But, yeah, I mean, I want to see what NC State's defense looks like. It's it's going to look different in the beginning of the season than what it looks like in that first week of November. Um, I want to see what, how, how much up to speed, how quickly Peyton Wilson and Isaiah Moore coming off of their injuries can get going. Um, I want to see if Tanner Engel can stay in games and yeah. not get ejected. Yeah, I think yeah. he was able to do that last year, so that might be a little bit of a of an outdated cheap shot, but it's fine. We were just doing the Malik Mikhail Cunningham dance, so <laughs> totally fine. 
but uh but yeah i mean that's that's a game that you know uh the the funny anecdote there is the last two games between wake and nc state have both had 45 42 scores yeah um nc state one in 20 and wake one in 21 the interesting part there is also that the game is at state it in all likelihood would be a night game as long as both of those teams are what we think they're going to be at that point in the season and carter finley at night is a crazy atmosphere that is that is a wild place to play a game i think wake has won maybe twice in raleigh in the last 20 years and one of them was was the thursday night game that jamie newman uh came in and threw two fourth quarter touchdowns one in the last minute to win but uh it's a really hard place to win it's especially been hard for wake to win there so in terms of a record prediction, I mean, I could see, and, and again, I, I talked about how high the ceiling was, you know, and I was kind of teeing that question out for you, but it's really a high floor as well because of how good that offense is. It's kind of the answer to both questions, right? If I think if the defense takes some significant steps forward, then this is like a legitimate like ACC title contender. If it's what we expect the defense to be, which is like kind of just a so-so unit and the offense is just rolling again, very similar to last year, it kind of feels like we're having a similar discussion that we had to a year ago, just with the data point of 11 wins, right. That, that they were able to accomplish last year. I mean, when you take a look at this schedule, like what, what's your, what's your best cast in terms of kind of where you think they could land? I think, I think the semi safe bet would be eight or nine wins. Yeah. Um, you see some toss up games in there. Like, you know, I, I think, I think those three that I mentioned at Louisville, at NC State, uh, then come home against Carolina. Um, off the off the top of my head, I think Wake is two and four against those three teams in the last two seasons. Um, they'll want revenge against Carolina. They basically lost the same game to Carolina each of the last two years in just a shootout and find themselves up three possessions in the middle of the third quarter. And then the defense just shatters. And um, so those are toss up games. I think the BC game is, is really winnable, but it, it's, you know, like we, we're both high on Phil Dracovic. He could come in there and steal that. Uh, the first three games need to be a ramp up to Clemson. Like you need yeah, to go through. No. Um for for purposes outside of Wake, uh, there will be a lot of eyes on that Vanderbilt game. Uh-huh. The, the, the ACC is going to need a preseason ranked team to go play the SEC doormat and and win by a lot. I mean, yeah, beat I, the hell out of them. Yeah, I, I wrote something a little while back that was like I listed Wake's five most important games. And the first four were the four that you would think of right right away, like Clemson, NC State, Carolina, and Louisville. Yep. And the fifth one, I had Vanderbilt, and I said, all the other four, like, it doesn't matter if Wake wins by one or 30, they'll take a win any way they can get it. For purposes, like, it won't matter to Wake how much they win that Vanderbilt game by, but it'll matter to a lot of people how much they win. Optics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, in a weird, we're in a weird state in college football from a, from a realignment standpoint, what's yeah. the sport going to look like five years from now? What's the sport going to look like three years from now? Like there's, that's a really important game. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, and then you're, you're playing a Liberty team that is, 
is good. They're getting better. They're also replacing a quarterback that was a first round or second round pick, maybe. Um, so you need to use those three games as a ramp up to to the biggest game of your season. Um, as long as they can do that, I mean, I I just don't know if if Wake can beat Clemson. I it it's one of yeah, those things. Yeah. I, I went into last year saying. I'll believe Wake's offense can move the ball against Brent Venables when I see it. And I did kind of see it. Like, Wake moved the ball in the second and fourth quarters against Clemson last year. Yeah, for sure. They just turned the ball over and couldn't move the ball in the first and third quarters, and that's why they lost by three touchdowns. Yeah. Um, They also couldn't stop the run, uh, even (laughs) if they put nine or ten guys in the box. Right. That's the athlete thing (laughs) we talked about earlier. Yeah. And that's the depth thing. Uh, they were, yeah, they right. were really hobbled. That was the 11th game of the year last year. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if if getting them early in the season makes a difference. I'm sure they'll be pretty cautious with the guys that might miss the first game or two. Like those guys won't be rushed back and they'll probably get in there against Liberty a little bit and then they'll be ready to go for, for the big one, the ACC opener. Um, I'm with you. I think the floor is really high. I think – yeah, you know, and, and for the people that want to take the ten thousand foot view, I mean, the work that Dave Clawson has done to turn Wake into a place where you would say the floor is like six and six in a and a crappy bowl game, right? That's a pretty <laughs> high floor for a place that, yeah. you know, I think Wake's all time winning percentage is is around the four twenty five, four thirty mark. Yeah, uh, that that it is that the floor is as high as it is speaks volumes. Uh, and I, I think the ceiling is is another double digit win season, which last year was Wake's second double or yeah, last year was Wake's second double digit win season in school history. So to be talking about possibly having a third and the second consecutive, that that's you know that's kind of the uh, the George Costanza. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to date ourselves, Connor, because I don't think either one of us are that old. But if you're pretty new to the ACC, it wasn't that long ago that Wake Forest literally couldn't get out of their own way. Like Duke is in the position that they're in now, which yeah. even like five years ago, we were having the discussion about Cutcliffe and doing what he did at Duke. It was the same conversation that we were having right now with what Clawson has done at Wake Forest. Like, how could you make this team like their floor be a bowl game? Like this program was so down in the dumps, and then Duke's kind of in that position now. With Cutcliffe stayed on probably a couple of years longer than he should have, and now we're they're kind of in the same spot they were before. But the elevation of that program into what people expect them to be when they're when they're good or when they're right is very different from what it was 10, 15 years ago when people didn't even think Duke was a program that could maybe get to a bowl game on a consistent basis. They had a, a long a long string of years where they were having a lot of issues. Same with Wake Forest, right? I mean, they had the Jim Grove years, which were fine, but Wake hasn't seen really anything like this with Clawson. I mean, what he's been able to do, I mean, the last two decades, they really haven't seen a program kind of have the ceiling that they have. I mean, this is very new to this program, and the floor being what it is is pretty pretty significant. Yeah, you go back to this is uh... – Assuming Wake is ranked in the AP top 25, I know they're, they're 19 in the coaches poll. Oh, the, yeah. AP, the AP poll comes out next week. Um, this will be the second time in program history that they enter a season ranked. 
the other time wasn't even after they won the ACC championship. So they won the ACC championship in 2006. Entering the 2007 season, they they were not a top 25 team because they still had Riley Skinner. Like Riley Skinner was a redshirt oh, freshman man. when they won the ACC. Yeah, that's a throwback. They lost so many other pieces that everybody just kind of wrote it off as, well, they had their one magic season. Uh, they're not going to be as good. I think that 2017 won maybe nine games. Uh, right. They came pretty close to being another double-digit win team. And then 2008, uh, so, so the following year was the only other time Wake has entered a season ranked. And yeah, that, that's what you're talking about. Like I, I've, I've compared uh, in this unique role that I'm in, I've, and even before I was in it, I've compared the tenures of Jim Grobe and David Cutcliffe and they're so similar. And every time you look at it, every time you, you know, go like, three months without looking at it and then go back and look at it, you find something else that's like, man, these guys just ran the same operation, uh, just just a little different segments in a little different years. But like right down to the to the loyalty to assistant coaches when they probably knew that they were not the staff that was going to get it done, but yeah. they couldn't they couldn't pull the trigger on changes that needed to happen. Um right down to both of them resigned. Yeah. Uh, they they were they were kind of telegraphed resignations, but yeah, both of them stepped down. They were not fired right. uh, because of the heights that they had taken. These academic, uh, you know, not historically great football programs too. Yeah, and then to where they had slipped. Crazy. Um, I I can't believe we're talking about Wake Forest in a context where they're like contenders in the Atlantic, but here we are. Um, this feel, and I, I'm just going to go out on, I, this feels like nine wins. It does. I mean, yeah. I, they're going to have, they're going to have trouble against Clemson, I think. And I'm with you. I think until they do it, I'm just going to come back to, it's the talent and depth. Like it's one thing to have talent. It's another thing to have talent and depth. Right. I think, um, a good example uh, is Notre Dame kind of going into the college football playoff. And you're like, okay, the first string has talent. A good example, actually, a few years ago, they played Clemson in the Cotton Bowl. It was the first time they played Clemson in the playoff. I think the Cotton Bowl, maybe. Yeah, was that the 30-3 to game? Yeah, that was the 30-3 to game that was competitive for a while. And then Julian Love got hurt for Notre Dame. And then Justin Ross had, like, 200 yards receiving. And it's like, okay, one guy goes down and then you just pick on the guy that came in, right? And that's kind of the next step in program maturity where you're like consistently good. Obviously, Notre Dame's kind of a little bit different level than Wake, but it's the same kind of concept where you got the first string talent, which I'll put Wake Forest offense up against anybody, right? But it's the, okay, if one guy gets hurt, right, if you lose – now, Sam Hartman's a big position at quarterback, so let's not talk about that. Maybe uh, you lose a couple of receivers, A.T. Perry gets hurt, right? And that's a position where you look at receivers, and there is some depth there. There are some good receivers, but if one guy goes down, like how confident are you that a guy who is getting maybe 30% of the snaps in camp is now going to step in and be like a confident number two, for example? Like that's where I look at Clemson, and I'm like, okay, until they do it, it's hard to pick them to win that football game because it is, it is Clemson, it is Dabo, what they've built. It's just kind of, it's different, you know, yeah. it's different. Yeah. That's the rest that's of the, the schedule thing. though. 
Go ahead, sir. That's the thing is like 2019, Wake was seven and one. And right. they lost oh, yeah. Scotty Washington one week and then Sage Chirac goes down in the game at Virginia Tech. Right. And all of a sudden Wake's offense that had been predicated on the slow mesh and running the ball and then throwing jump balls to your two basically basketball players that just could just right. go rebound. Right. Becomes well, everybody knows we're going to run the ball. We can't throw the ball deep to these receivers that have not been making plays all year. Now what? And and that's why they right. went one and four down the stretch. Right. So it's one of the reasons. Right. No, agree. Um, and I think Wake's offense now is much more well-rounded because I think they yeah. just have more, they have more ta- obviously more talent in the receiver room, stuff like that. But yeah, that's, I mean, prime example. And you know, you mentioned that three-game stretch, and, you know, as I was preparing for this today, like, the, the three-game stretch that I looked at was the Louisville-NC State-North Carolina stretch, where they go on the road to Louisville and NC State, come home to play Carolina. That's going to tell the entire season, in my opinion, right? Because regardless of what happens in that Clemson game, I know if you lose to Clemson, and Clemson's as good as everybody anticipates they'll be, that the Atlantic's probably out the door, and I get that. That's why Clemson is the biggest game, but if Clemson were to have an injury or slip up once or twice, like that three game stretch is going to be pretty significant. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be make or break for Wake to get into a new Year's six game, in my opinion, because I still think the ceiling is that high, even if they lose to Clemson. And this does feel like a team that, you know, maybe nine and three, if they go five and three in the ACC, I'm going to assume they beat army, right? That's, that's the toughest non-conference game. In my opinion, we talked about Liberty. I just, you lose Malik Willis. I get Hugh Freeze hasn't well coached. I get that. It's just hard to really envision this Wake Forest team losing to Liberty. So yeah. Army is just a weird offense, and we saw what happened last year. Things got weird. There were 126 points scored. It was a very odd game. But, yeah, that, that three-game stretch, end of October, uh, second weekend in November, is pretty telling. And I think if if Wake Forest gets out of that stretch – you know, two and one, then maybe we're talking about 10 wins. I think if they go one and two, like I think they probably will be just because two of them are on the road. And I think Carolina is going to be a tough ask at home. Nine and three, five and three in the ACC is not that bad. It's probably going to be good for second or third in the Atlantic, I think. Yeah, it's uh, the the one thing to keep in mind, and I haven't done the research on this yet. Um, Wake does not have a good record historically, and especially in the last uh maybe six or seven years of playing in front of big crowds yeah that was one thing that they kind of got to dodge last year until the last month of the season yeah um but louisville i think that stadium holds over fifty thousand. i know nc state holds more than fifty thousand. uh that's kind of the threshold that i think of for big crowds um it's it's interesting, right? Like it, it's it's a very experienced team. Like it's a veteran offense. You would think that they're going to be in sync, but man, sometimes uh, sometimes you feel like the the noise swallows them up. Like I remember the the game in 2019 at Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, like that was that was Bud Foster Day. Like it was a big party. It was it was loud, and it felt like it took Wake a little while on both sides of the ball to settle in uh, and get comfortable. And so that's something to kind of keep in mind. Uh, you know, that trip to Florida state might be a little trap. Uh, yeah. It'll, it'll Sandwich depend. between army and Clemson. 
it'll depend on what Florida State looks like the first month. I mean, they, yeah. that fan base could lose interest in a hurry, and yep. that could be you could you could be walking into a uh, pretty dead atmosphere at, at yes. Oak Walker. But if that fan base is fired up, that's one to keep an eye on because I know they can they can fill it up when people care. Right. Um, but yeah, that that fifty thousand number. I mean, keep that in mind for for on the. It, it won't matter at Vanderbilt. It won't matter at Duke. Um, but it'll matter for their other three road games, Florida State, Louisville, and NC State. That's that's interesting. It's something I hadn't thought about, but I think that puts all the more emphasis on that three-game stretch in November, uh, October and, and mid-November there. Um, you get that Carolina game at home. That might be the one game they, they win, right? If they go on a slide, it's like, okay, this is where they snap it. Um, and honestly, if if you if you pull the fan base of okay, you could you tell them you can only win one of these three games, uh, they're going to tell you they want to win the Carolina game. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> that is a big one. All right, I'm going to go nine three five and three in the ACC officially from you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say nine and three. I mean. Yeah. It's it's tough, right? Because because you want to look at these games and say they're toss up games and they're fifty fifty games. You also, you know, I I gave you the the historically bad in front of big crowds stat uh, right. that I haven't looked up yet. They've got a great record under Clawson in games decided by a touchdown or less. Yeah, uh, those those games those games that everybody wants to make into okay, these are just coin flip games. They're like eighteen and ten uh, since the start of the 2016 season in games decided by a touchdown or less uh it it comes down to turnover margin which wake has been really good at for a lot of these past few seasons best in the acc last year and it comes down to kicking and so when you have nick skiba making 90 percent of his field goals yep you, you know that you're not gonna miss an extra he never missed an extra point so you knew every extra point he was gonna make and you knew that pretty much once you got inside a certain yard line, you were going to have at least three points on the board. We're going to come back to this conversation here in a few months when we're talking about Wake Forest and the fact they've lost four games already and two of them were decided by kicking. <laughs> we're going to be like, you know what Connor said? No Nick Skiba. Like, this is, this is kind of – this is what happens when you don't have the most accurate kicker in the history of college football on your roster anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean – there, there is going to come a point where Wake is going to miss Nick Skiba. It's to yeah. me, it's just an inevitability. It's just a matter of whether you know, does it cost you a game or does it just make a win a little more nail biting? Um, right. It's it's going to be a matter of that. God, I hope it's not the Clemson game at home. Oh, <laughs> that would be, be that would be crushing. That uh, would be crushing. Yeah. That would be, you know that's like the next step in like that that's the next step in like program maturation is knocking off Clemson. And if it's because you don't have Nick Steve anymore, that would be, that would be twisting the knife. Um, you go to, I mean, NC state was right there ready to, to crest that hill against Clemson. And they, yep. uh, and kick. Kyle Bambard missed the kick yep. and they lost in overtime down in death Valley. Yep. And it took Clemson or it took NC state another, what, like five years to, yeah, to the point where they could beat them. God, that was crazy. It doesn't feel like that long ago either. That's nuts. 
Connor. Awesome having you on, man. Uh, publisher from Deacons Illustrated. Also, Devils Illustrated for Blue Devils coverage. Is that where we can find you? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Connor, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Always appreciate it.